Hello, and welcome to The Midlife with Kimberly Sampson and Tracy Feldstein. If you're over 40 and under dead, you're in the right place. Hey there, I'm Kimberly Sampson, and welcome to The Midlife Podcast, where we discuss tools and strategies to turn your midlife crisis into your midlife transformation. Some of what you'll hear is from the recipe I use to get myself out of my own midlife funk. Some of what we'll discuss draws on my career in finance and banking and my experiences with entrepreneurship. All of it, my personal experience and my professional expertise are yours to help you design your next best chapter and thrive. We'll also have a special segment called Reinvented sprinkled in every few weeks. You'll hear from inspiring women who have changed course after 40, proving it's never too late to start something new. Join me. Welcome to episode 13 of The Midlife. There are some pretty basic themes that come up for the women I counsel in midlife. Maybe number one is marriage. My husband and I celebrated 22 years of marriage last week. We went nowhere and no cards or gifts were exchanged, and yet it was one of the best anniversaries we've had in a while. So in honor of that milestone, I thought I'd do my first of what is likely to be many podcasts about midlife marriage. A quick disclaimer. If your spouse is violent, an addict, or mentally ill, you need professional advice that I am not qualified to give, and I beg you to find that support. In the past 25 years, the divorce rate for Americans over the age of 50, what we're now calling gray divorce, has more than doubled. While divorce rates for other age groups have leveled off or even fallen, one out of every four people going through a divorce in the United States is 50 or older. Compare that to 1990, when fewer than 1 in 10 people who got divorced was over 50. The research notes that it isn't just remarried older people who are getting divorced. More than half of all gray divorces are with couples who have been married for over 20 years. If we're all honest here, I don't think this shocks any of us. I do think our marriages are fragile structures that need care and nurturing if we are committed to not becoming part of the statistics. Bottom line, yeah, it's a lot of fucking work. Here's five things I think you should stop saying about your marriage, and a challenge. Number one, stop saying, I got married too young. Everyone did. It's not even that you were too young, it's just that we were young. I was 26 when I got married, and I thought I was an old maid. The summer I was 25, I remember being super pissy at the end of Labor Day weekend because we weren't engaged yet, and this meant there was no way I could have a summer wedding the next summer. Summer was now over, and I needed at least a year to plan the wedding of my mother's dreams. We were engaged in November and married in August, crisis averted. Let's drop a truth bomb. You wanted a wedding. You were swept up in all of your friends' weddings you were going to, and you wanted one too. It was the next rite of passage. I feel like there should be a standard whereby you can get married, but it has to be with less than 10 guests, and you don't get the -the over-the-top wedding bonanza until you've been married 25 years. If you're still into it, then you know you want the marriage, not just the wedding. Also, you should be forced to see what the budget of your wedding can grow to if invested at a conservative 7% for 20 years. What I wouldn't do to get that money back. I've been brainwashing my boys forever not to have big weddings, but to please invite me. I realize they'll have little to say in that matter. To complain that you were too young discounts that you made the decision assumedly with all your faculties and that time and circumstance aligned. Number two, stop saying, they're not the same person I married. Thank goodness. And hopefully you're not the same person they married. 
Speaking in generalities, I believe people are pretty consistent at their core, but that the facets of their personality marinate over time. Hopefully most of them improve with age, but if they don't, I think you've got to be honest with yourself that that quality was always there. Maybe you were willing to overlook it at some point, but if it's now bugging you, I think you need to adjust your expectations. I'm not sure it's really fair to change the rules and demand wholesale changes to a person's personality. I think the center of this complaint really originates with the partner that is stagnant and is aimed at the partner that is growing. And I do think we're talking about growth and not change. I believe the thought is rooted in fear because growth can create a space between partners. If you're the one being accused of being different, I'd say you're doing something right. You're evolving. For the good of your marriage, may I suggest you reach back and invite your partner to come along for the adventure. If you're the one leveling the complaint, I say with love, check yourself. My guess is that things weren't all rosy before your spouse embarked on some personal growth. Good for them for making a change. Consider it your wake-up call to reevaluate your path. Hopefully that's why you're here with me. Number three, stop asking, when the kids are gone, what will we talk about? Well, for starters, still the kids. After all, they are your greatest hits. When did children as subject matter become devalued? Having a common goal such as raising productive members of society is actually a good thing. Now, if you bring up the children only when you're alone, you need to ask yourself if you're doing it to avoid talking about more difficult topics. If that's the case, it's time to get your hands dirty. No one wants to hurt a loved one's feelings, but festering over stuff doesn't do anyone any good. You know they know you're pissed off, right? Better to come out with it and give it the opportunity to find a productive resolution. You are assured failure if you don't even try to talk about what it's upsetting you. As for finding other topics of conversation, how about taking up a new hobby together? Games are a good place to start. Outdoor activities, artistic pursuits, exercise, or even self-improvement. Play tennis together. Plan a hike or beach date. Take up painting. Start meditating or doing yoga together. Get creative and just start trying things. Don't tell me but he, she, won't and assume that your partner isn't also craving to be closer. Maybe you have to take the lead. Make the suggestions, explain why it's important to you, and ask for feedback or other options. You might ask yourself, what do you think you'd talk about on a date with someone? Because that's really what we're talking about here, right? How would your life be different if you weren't in your marriage? Hmm, did that sting? How about talking to your spouse about those things? But you'd have to be interesting yourself, right? What are you learning, reading, and contributing to society? Maybe you're boring. If you are, cut it out. Pick up a hobby, a book, a job. Number four, stop saying the thrill is gone. Stop being passive and expecting your spouse to come on to you. Do you flirt with your spouse? If not, you may want to start. Set the example of what you want. Send a dirty text or leave a suggestive note on the windshield. Also, give him what he wants. Don't make him ask for it. As for reciprocity, ask for what you want and be clear about what you don't want. Remember how you were complaining that you were once too young to know what you wanted? Well, now you're a grown-ass woman. Why not unapologetically start acting like one? Be your own Gina Tay commercial. Anyone remember that, or is that reference too obscure? I'd never advocate sex as a good basis for a long-term relationship, but I will say that increasing sex in a long-term relationship can go a long way towards patching things up. Yes, sex for women is complicated, and I'm sure I'll do many podcasts on that subject specifically, but for now... Let me say sex is like raisins. I used to eat a lot of raisins. They were always in my school lunch. 
Then I stopped eating raisins when I left grade school. Now when I eat a raisin, I say, oh yeah, raisins are delicious. They are literally nature's candy. I should eat more raisins. So I say to you, eat more raisins. You've just forgotten how much you enjoy them. Number five, stop saying I love my spouse, but I'm not in love with them. In love is a synonym for in lust. You are not a 13-year-old with a schoolgirl crush. That's good. There's a saying that feelings follow thoughts. Start noticing and creating good thoughts about your spouse. Hashtag grateful vomit, but yes, that exactly. I'm not saying you're not being taken for granted. I'm sure you are. But are you also taking your mate for granted? Start paying attention to the efforts or gestures. Feel good about those. See if a change in you can't bring about a change in your partner. And finally, I have a challenge for you. Make a list of everything you want in a partner. The experiment is to do this in a vacuum. Try to do this without your spouse in mind. One, because the results will be more dramatic. And two, I don't want this to be an opposite of my partner list. When you're finished, how many boxes does your spouse actually check? But also, if there's a box not checked, can you ask for it? While we don't like to believe in the happily ever after fairy tale, that is just a fantasy. You have to take responsibility for the relationship you're in. Or you also have the option not to be in it. I want you to be happy. You want you to be happy. Make it happen for yourself. Have I oversimplified a few keys to marriage happiness? You bet. We could talk for hours about financial matters, chore distribution, yelling, long-term goals, in-law influences, infidelity, libido discrepancies, and on and on and on. But rather than deliver an overwhelming masterclass in matrimonial harmony, see if you can't hone in on these few important components. As always, I'd love to hear what you think on the matter. You can jump into the private Facebook group Muddling Through the Midlife and post your comments there. Because this is a sensitive topic, feel free to DM me on Facebook, Instagram, or shoot me an email at Kimberly at midlife.co. You can send a comment or even a question if you'd like my advice and perspective. This week marks our slow march to return to school. My middle son will begin his junior year of high school from the comfort of his bedroom. Such a bummer, but ultimately the right decision. It makes me sad that usually this week includes a back-to-school barbecue. There'll be no reunion of friends and echoes of this is going to be our greatest year ever. No scoping out of maybe a few new cute girls to the class. Instead, I had the thought that maybe the universe is punishing me for complaining about the millions of school lunches I hate to pack. Now I get to continue my duties as a short order cook preparing three full meals a day. I think I'm getting formica trays and a hairnet. I'll be back next week with midlife words of wisdom peppered with humor and actionable ideas. Let me translate. I haven't decided what I want to talk about yet. I think I'll put a poll up in the private Facebook group muddling through the midlife and you can weigh in on what you want to hear about. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review. I'm passionate about normalizing midlife crisis and giving you actionable solutions to live your best life. Sharing the podcast with your friends or rating and reviewing helps me get the word out to as many women as possible. I really appreciate you being here.